Blog Talk Radio. It's time for another look back at the Pine Ridge Warriors Blog Talk Radio program, which ran from December 2013 until the death of Marcus Samuel in July of 2015. The anointing of Marcus Samuel was apparent as he taught, prayed, and interacted with callers. We are fortunate to have all of the Pine Ridge Warriors programs and look forward to sharing the best of Marcus Samuel as we retrieve the gems he left behind while hosting the program. Today's segment is entitled, Wisdom for Warriors, Part 1. We pray it will bless you as it has blessed us. I want you tonight, if you would, for you that are taking notes or um, if you have your Bible, please take your Bible out. And um, what the Holy Spirit dropped into my heart to share for tonight and tomorrow night, be part two tomorrow night, same thing. If I had to entitle it, I would call it Wisdom for Warriors. And um, obviously we are speaking to you as spiritual warriors tonight. And the Holy Spirit impressed me that as we are being prepared to be end-time warriors, we need all of his spiritual equipment, his endowments, his anointings, his giftings, all of his graces. But there was one particular thing that the Holy Spirit said that we as warriors would need in this next season, and that was wisdom. Because wisdom is what's going to make us battle-ready. And there's a scripture I want to share. Uh, Brother Curtis, do you have your Bible handy? Okay, let me go yeah, back. Sorry, uh, sorry about that. Sorry about that, um, Brother Marcus. Yes, I do. Okay, if you can look up uh, real quickly in the Epistle of James, chapter 1, verse 5. All and right. while Curtis is finding James 1, 5, uh, okay. I also want the listeners to write down if you're taking notes tonight, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 18. These are two extremely important verses uh, right now as God prepares us as warriors to be battle-ready. And I think that you'll see the significance of that as we go on. And, uh, ah, excuse me one second, <laughs> Hey, Brother uh, Curtis, have you found James 1, 5? Sorry, I'm not quick as uh, falling. Uh, <laughs> flipping to my Bible. Uh, again, this is a different Bible that was sent to me. Um, so it's uh, taking a little bit of use, getting used to. So just give me one more second, my dear brother, and I will be there shortly. Uh, one, two, four. One. Ah. I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, if uh, how people get this done in a year, I have no clue. Um, <laughs> don't wait till don't wait till radio show time to amen break in a new Bible, brother Curtis. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Amen. Y'all. Um, <laughs> well, while Curtis right. is finding that, I got scripture, it. Okay, uh, read James one five for me, brother Curtis. All right. Wow, this is small print. Um, <laughs> all right. Oh, that's John. I'm so sorry, Apostle. Uh, take that away. Hold on. Give me a second. <laughs> okay, while he's looking for the correct scripture, okay, I want to instruct you as worship warriors tonight that the Lord is indeed wanting to make us battle ready. That means that we need to be instant, in season, and out of season, not just to speak the word and share the word, but also 
to heed his call to engage in uh, spiritual warfare at the unction and direction of the Holy Ghost. And, you know, God has given us all the equipment. He's given us all the armor that we need to do a good warfare. And it's time to put on your God gear and kick the devil in the rear. Amen? So what is your God gear? Well, it's the full armor of God, which we're going to be talking about, amen, in a little bit of this show and in future shows to come. Brother Curtis, did you find that scripture? Yes, James 1.5. It says, <laughs> If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. James 1.5. Okay, now, so in verse 5, okay, if any of you lack wisdom, now I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but there are times that I lack wisdom once, twice, three times or more a day. And in this season of confusion and the age of deception that we're in, we need to access, amen, the wisdoms. First of all, we need to acknowledge that we need the wisdom of God. So if any of you lack wisdom, what do we do? Let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally. God is not going to withhold the wisdom that you need if you ask him. So we need to ask the Father, seek his face for it, and knock at his door, that he will open the door and give us that wisdom. And the Bible says that all knowledge and wisdom is in Christ Jesus. So we're not looking to a theology or a structure of religious perception and opinions. We're looking to Jesus. For in him there's all wisdom and all knowledge and all power, all dominion, all authority. So we need to seek his wisdom now. We need to access that now time of faith for this wisdom of God to prepare us as warriors to be battle ready because the battle is already on and we're going to see increasing degrees and dimensions of the battle increase as we move closer into these end times. It's not a time to not have on your armor. It's not a time not to have his wisdom. It's not a time not to be ready to be called into battle. What if tomorrow... What if tonight the Holy Spirit will say to you, I want you to engage in spiritual warfare on the behalf of brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so or this nation and that nation? Because when you engage in spiritual warfare, you're not fighting flesh and blood. Our warfare is not with flesh and blood, but against powers and dominions and principalities and thrones of darkness seated in the second heavens and operative from underground and, and, and in this earth realm. So we need not to underestimate uh, our enemy, but also we don't need to magnify our enemy. We need to acknowledge that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So the prince of this power of, of, of the air has nothing on us as children of light, as children of God, if we ask for God's wisdom, if we're clothed in God's wisdom, if we're operating in God's wisdom. And he will not hold it back from you. He will give it to you. It's your inheritance as a worship warrior, to have the Lord's wisdom. And um, there's another scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'm going to turn to it right now and read it to you. This is also a very, very important scripture. Now, let me warn you ahead of time. Uh, some of you brothers out there that like to fight, I mean, uh, you, you, you may have to uh, hear this scripture two or three times, <laughs> amen, to understand it's in the spirit and not in the flesh. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, uh, verse 18, the Bible says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war. 
Now, I'm not going to go into the whole uh, discussion about you know bearing arms and and which which our Constitution gives us the right to do uh, to protect ourselves. Amen. That 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 should be an established and understood truth, a principle of freedom. Okay. Uh, but the Bible says that wisdom is better than weapons of war. Now, how I want to address that scripture is this tonight. You already know that the adversary, uh, the elite, uh, through fallen angel technology, through modern-day technology and scientific investigation and creation, amen, they're already amen, uh, uh, acquiring weapons that go way beyond the scope of just the average person's knowledge. Now, some of these high-tech weapons, some of these classified weapons, some of these secret weapons that have been hid in caves and other parts of the world and have now been uh, discovered and, and being accessed and being removed from their uh, environment and their place of finding, all of these are being integrated, amen, in the uh, last-day plot of the Antichrist powers to make war against the Lamb and his saints. But I've got news for you. Glory to God. The Bible says wisdom is better than the weapons of war. And when the last call is made, when the final amen warfare plan is put out, when the best of their technology is arrayed against the Lamb and against the saints of God, God's wisdom, which is Jesus, God's power, which is Jesus, amen, through his sovereign power, he is going to destroy all the powers of Antichrist. He is going to, amen, make every kingdom of this world the kingdom, amen, uh, of the Lord, amen, for himself and for his glory. So in the end, we are going to win. In the end, amen, the war games are going to end to the glory of God. The Lamb is going to overcome all darkness. The Lamb is going to come, overcome every Antichrist power, amen. But the Bible says wisdom is better than weapons of war. Now, we know that the coming battle, uh, the battle of Armageddon, the last big major fight against the Lamb of God and his saints, amen, is going to end in total victory at the coming of the Lord, at the glory of God, at the appearing of Jesus. Uh, he's going to overcome them. But now, prior to that, we are going to be engaging in different levels of spiritual warfare ourselves before that great end-time battle. We are going to be, amen, up against uh, satanic delusion, uh, demonic deception, uh, fear, chaos, creatures that we've not seen before coming from different dimensions, amen, uh, oppressing, vexing, harassing, bringing fear, bringing terror. And we have to be prepared to stand in the face of all these things. And one of the ways, and one of the major ways that we as his children are going to overcome, amen, is by accessing that wisdom. Because this wisdom that God gives liberally, this wisdom, first of all, is pure, is peaceable. And in that peace, we will be able to overcome anything that is before us. That's the power of God's peace, the peace that passes all understanding. It's the kind of peace that you can't explain when you got it. I mean, your world can be falling apart around you, but when you're established in the peace of God and the Prince of Peace is in your heart, go to God. Amen. You're right in the middle of the eye of the storm experiencing the peace of God, and you're not going to be moved. You're not going to be, amen, shaken. You're not going to be knocked out and uh, dragged out or taken down. You're going to stand and having done all to stand. But this wisdom is so important that we have it right now because the wisdom that we need, amen, will come from God the Father through the Holy Spirit, and that wisdom will give us divine insight, divine strategy, divine forewarning, 
of what's coming, what to do, what to uh, say, what not to say, where to go, where not to go. Amen. This wisdom is going to be so needed that we must be dependent upon the Father daily for that wisdom from here on out. Daily ask the Father for the wisdom that he sends. Daily seek the wisdom of the Father. For this wisdom is stronger and better than any weapons of war. I don't care what the elite's doing. I don't care what the New World Order, New World Order is doing. I don't care, amen, what any other entity, whether it be spiritual or natural, is doing because the wisdom that we have access to is better and stronger than any weapons they have. Now, saints, that's, that should be some good news. And it's this kind of wisdom that's going to have you to put on the full armor of God daily, decked out in your God gear, hallelujah, and allow you to use your God gear to kick devil rear. Amen. So, amen. And again, that, that, that God gear is the full armor of God. Now, I'm not going to teach on the full armor of God tonight. That's going to be done in some upcoming shows. But I want you to get this, because part of the armor of God, in fact, let me just turn there. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Part of the armor of God is, and it's both an offensive and a defensive weapon. It's offensive and defensive. But in, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible begins to describe, in fact, let me just read this. This, this is also powerful. Uh, let's start with chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, first of all, notice that we have to put on the whole armor of God. You cannot be half-dressed at any time. You can't be found naked in the spirit. You have to be fully clothed and fully armored at all times, but especially in times of battle, in times of warfare. Well, guess what? We're in a season now when the warfare is not letting up. Daily, you have to contend with adversaries, demons, and the devil, with thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. It is continual mental and spiritual warfare. That's the time we're living in. It's not like you can take a day off from warfare right now. Uh, now, there is uh, good news because as you war, you can also do that from the place of his rest because you've entered into his rest and ceased from your own labors. That's where true spiritual warfare, amen, is initiated by the Spirit of God from, is from the rest of God, amen. But put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There's a time that you have to learn to stand, not run, not bend, not bow, but stand. And the reason that you can stand is because he is standing up in you. The one who said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, is the one that is standing up in you. And for him to stand up, you have to sit down. I mean, you have to assume that place that it talks about in Ephesians, that we're seated with him in heavenly places. As you sit in the spirit, in the position of rest, in the heavenlies, that's when he will stand up, amen, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, as the Lord, as the man of war, as it describes him in Psalms chapter 24. He is the Lord of war. He is the man of war, amen. He is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of armies. He's the Lord of worship warriors, amen. As you sit down and position yourself where it says you are to in Ephesians, he will stand up. He will fight for you. As long as you're standing, amen, amen, I know that sounds like a contradiction, but as long as you're standing, amen, uh, you, you need to sit 
so that he can stand. Because we have to come to that place where it's not us, it's him. It's him that has formed in us, living in us. In him we move and live and have our being so that he can stand up. Because he's the only one that's truly able, amen, to reflect, amen, every while of the devil, every test of the devil, every persecution of the devil, every fiery dart of the devil. So we've got to stand against the wiles of the devil by letting Jesus stand up in us. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're going to do a teaching on those four echelons, amen, of spiritual power in days ahead. You need to know that they are distinct, and they, they have different functions, uh, it's a different hierarchy, uh, and you need to know the dynamics of those spiritual tiers of, of, of entities. Verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. Now notice, the scripture did not say that you might be able to fly away in the evil day, that you might run in the evil day, that you might, amen, hide in the evil day, but the scripture says that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. Well, the evil day, amen, is the day when the prince of the power of the air has, he knows his time is short, and he has come down to do everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy, amen, uh, the body of Christ. He, he has come down to bring you to destruction, bring you into deception. But we, through the armor of God, can withstand in the evil day. We don't have to worry about, well, is the rapture going to take place? If so, when is it going to take place? Is it uh, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? No, you're all going to trib, so just be able to stand, glory to God, in the evil day. Because the evil day is upon us. And the evil is increasing every day. It's becoming dimensional, dimensionally stronger every day. It, it, it's growing in its strength of darkness. The wiles of the adversary are being unveiled as never before. We're feeling more temptation, more pressure, amen, from the adversary on a daily basis. Saints are under attack to the degree that they not have been before. They're feeling the power of darkness. They're feeling the pain of persecution. And they're feeling the peril of deception Amen. They know that something big is up and something big is about to happen. <clears throat> but we as his saints, we can stand in the evil day. We can withstand the devil. We can stand against his demons. We can stand against fallen amen, angels. We can stand against corrupt and evil men. We can stand against false apostles. We can stand against evil seducers. We don't have to take a fall. We don't have to be taken out. We don't have to be overcome. In fact, by the grace of God, we will overcome. So withstand in this evil day. And having done all, still stand. Amen. And then it says, amen, in verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, listen to verse 16, and verse 17, and verse 18. There, 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 there is so much here. I'm going to go back and get into them a little bit more in detail later. But above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now understand the wicked are both wicked and evil men, but also wicked and evil spirits. Amen. The, the fiery darts of wicked men is basically right now technology. The fiery darts of wicked spirits are truly spiritual assaults and attacks. Now, it talks about the shield of faith here. And uh, our, our shields are very important. 
because they are the shield of faith. But we know, we must know what the shield of faith is and how to use the shield of faith. And, and we have to understand, too, saints, that this is a time that we are not to stand alone. We're to stand together. We're to stand as the body, many members, but yet one body. It's time we start, amen, honoring the body. It's time we start cooperating with the true body. And I'm not talking about a false religious system. I'm not talking about religious Babylon. In fact, the word of the Lord for that is come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord of hosts. You cannot be a part of religious Babylon and be a warrior of the Spirit. You cannot be a part of any institutionalized religious uh, apostatized theology, amen, and be a part of God's end-time worship warriors. You have to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. But for the true body of Christ, we must understand that we've all been given a shield of faith. And one thing that we need to do in this time, as never, ever before, is to link our shields together. Did you hear that? We need to link our shields together. You see, when the Roman soldiers used to be on the battlefield, they would line up in rank, and they would have their shields as weapons of both offense and defense. And a lot of times the enemies would uh, begin to, amen, treat their arrows to where uh, they would burn at the end of the arrow. Uh, they were, they were uh, fixed so they would be on flames of fire. And they would shoot these arrows on the uh, opposing army. And at that point, the Roman soldiers would hold up their shields, and they would cover themselves, but they would so link themselves together with their fellow brethren that it uh, allowed the arrows to be deflected and not penetrate into the human flesh. Uh, now, of course, there were exceptions, but, I mean, that was the idea, that was the purpose, and to a great degree, that worked. So it's a time, saints, that we use our shield of faith, not just to protect ourselves, amen, as a single soldier, but we need to learn to protect our fellow brother and our fellow sister, amen, in the Lord on the battlefield. We need, amen, to come to that place where we learn to link our faith together, put our shields of faith together, because you don't have to fight alone. You see, that's the problem with spiritual lone rangers, amen. They detach themselves, amen. They isolate themselves. And now, I'm going to balance that out here in just a moment, but, amen, they, they, they are afraid to connect. They're afraid to get into covenant. They're afraid to get in a relationship with other true members of the body of Christ, amen, uh, true fellow believers. There, there's nothing wrong with bringing yourself into a place of covenant fellowship and unity with other like-minded and like-hearted uh, uh, people of faith. Uh, uh, and, and understand this, you're going to have people who are true believers. You're not going to agree on everything. You're not going to agree, agree on every little uh, revelation or, or interpretation of Scripture. But that nonetheless makes them your brother or sister in the Lord if they've truly been born again. If they're washed by the blood, if they've repented of their sins, amen, uh, and whether they're newborn or, or, or mature in the Lord, amen, they're still your brothers and sisters. And, and they may be presently connected to some other expression uh, of the body, but we've got to learn to respect the entire body. You see, you need every member of your body to function properly. Uh, and if you have a body part missing, amen, it, it does affect the body. Uh, I, I had a, a, a piece of my finger bit off by a dog uh, a little over a year ago on my left hand. And by the grace of God, <laughs> the doctor said, well, you won't have a nail, you won't have a finger, but by the grace of God it grew, it grew back. But there's still a minute 
absence of functional nervous tissue in that particular finger, and it is affected. I can't use it to its full purpose. Amen? And and that's just the way it is with every person in the body. I don't care if they're a finger, a thumb, a toe, an arm, a wrist, a finger, a hand, a foot. We need to understand it's time that we link the body together in expressive fellowship, sincere covenant, and mutual honor. Amen. Because a house divided cannot stand, and Satan has worked for decades and eons of time trying to weaken the corporate body of Christ, amen, to bring us to a place of weakness and immaturity and division. But I've got the word of the Lord because it's in the Bible that God said, I'm going to have a bride who's mature, that there's going to be a group of righteous remnant end-time worship warriors that are my called and my chosen. They've not sold out to the world. They're not conformed to the world. They follow only the Lamb whithersoever he goes. They're empowered by the Spirit. They're baptized with holy fire. They love Jesus. They want to worship. They want to pray. They want to fellowship with the Father. They want to do the works of God. They want to do the exploits of God. That's who I'm talking to tonight. I'm talking to the real body of Christ. I'm talking to the real believers. Amen. Not the apostate church, amen, who sold Jesus out for man-made tradition and theology that wants to just go warm a pew and have a, a, a good word spoken over them to make them feel good and have their ears tickled. But who I'm talking to tonight is those born-again, blood-bought, spirit-baptized, fire-breathing believers. Glory to God. Our God is a consuming fire. Who, who are in intimate fellowship with him, who are growing in the grace and knowledge of God daily, who are hungry for the things of the Spirit of God, the deeper things of God. You've had the milk, you've had the bread, but now you want the meat of that word. You want the meat of that intimate relationship, that proceeding word from the table of the showbread that governs your life. You want to come into a place where you sit and, and, and stay in the shadow of the Most High God and maintain that protective fellowship and that union with Him that only can come by the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. But it's time you realize that we must link together. We must come together. Amen. We must allow the Spirit of God to network us and to connect us. Amen. The, the reason that many of you listen to this program here is because you've been through that dry religious desert and all you had was the dirt uh, and the dust of dead theology to try to feed upon. And the pastures were no longer green pastures, but they were desolate and dry, arid places in the spirit. There was no milk, there was no bread, there was no meat, there was no living water. But you have come to that place where the Spirit of God is allowing you to drink of that water that flows from the throne of God. You're allowed to, amen, drink deep from that well of salvation. You're allowed to taste and see that the Lord is good. You're allowed to, amen, enjoy the fruits of His Spirit and the power and demonstrations of His liberty in the Holy Ghost. You have found something living. You have found something alive. You have found something satisfying. You have found something fulfilling. You have found your purpose. You found your passion and all i can say is stay connected and i want you to build connections with other like-minded believers amen it's time we put our shields together and stop fighting alone now there are times yes that god will pull you out of the system out of the city amen to yourself for a season and he will allow you to be hidden and covered while he's maturing you and preparing you for a future warfare and a time of calling and commissioning and purpose but that is not an eternal time there. It's a temporary time because there is a time that uh, the, the writer of the Songs of Solomon saw the bride coming out of the wilderness, and she was decked, amen, prepared 
to meet, amen, the bridegroom and to fulfill her eternal purpose and destiny. And you tonight that are listening to me out there, you may have been through your dry season. You may have been through your, amen, season of isolation. And you felt like no one knew who you were, that you didn't really amount to anything, that you were not doing much. Amen. Well, God had you right where he wanted you. He had you on the backside of that desert that you might see the burning bush, that you might be trained in the holy, amen, uh, uh, principles of the Father and the Son. You might be prepared for such a time as this. And I decree and declare by the word of the Lord, yes, this is your time. You're about to come out of the desert. You're about to come out of the wilderness. And you're going to be prepared and fully equipped when you do. The light of God's glory, hallelujah, is going to be upon you. You're going to shine and keep on shining. You're going to be the salt that's going to draw people, amen, to you to see what hope that you have. Glory to God, you are coming out of that desolate place. You're coming out of that dry place. I know it's been lonely, and it's been a time of isolation. When people talked about you, amen, they couldn't figure you out. They thought you went off the deep end. Amen, you did go off the deep end, but you went off the right deep end. And the deep end that you went off into was the deep of the deep of the Father's heart, glory to God. Deep calls to deep, and many of you felt that strong call of the Holy Spirit pulling you aside and causing you to drink of that secret water, that secret oasis place. When the church couldn't give it to you, the Father gave it to you. He allowed the proceeding word to come to you by revelation of the Holy Spirit. He took the scripture that you had hid in your heart and brought revelation and illumination to it. He opened up the written word and made it a living word and gave you a rhema word. And that is telling you that right now, glory to God, you have been prepared. You have been equipped for such a time as this. And you're coming out of that dark place. You're coming out of the cave that David had his mighty men hid in. When they came to David, they were desolate, broke, and bewildered. But when God got through with David's army, they were an elite fighting corps in the Holy Ghost. And can I tell you tonight in the Spirit of God that many of you are being prepared to be God's elite warriors. God's elite worship warriors, that righteous remnant, glory to God, that knows where your strength comes from. You know it don't come from yourself, but you know that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you're drawing on every spiritual virtue and every fruit of the Spirit to stand in this evil day. And having done that, to stand some more. Because you know the battle's on. You know, amen, game time is at hand. You're, you're, you're about to hear the whistle blow, and this is when this battle starts, amen. And, 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 and understand this. God is preparing you. He has anointed you. He has equipped you. He has prepared you. He has trained your hands and fingers to fight in a spiritual warfare. Glory to God. You're going to be God's secret weapon in this next season of spiritual warfare. But we must not stand alone. We must now come together. We've been called out to be called in. He called us out of that dry, desolate place where we were in our time of preparation and purifying and purging. But now he's calling us to come together. He's calling us to come into the ranks of the army of the Lord and stand side by side and take our shields of faith and cover ourselves and cover our brother and cover our sister. You don't have to stand alone and you don't have to fight alone. It's time we learn to fight together. Let me read Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 real quick. Amen. I just got to get this in here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10 says this. Amen. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. 
Now, there is a future prophetic application to this, but a present reality to it as well. We're coming in to a time where we are going to see the fullness of the restoration that the Father promised us as spoken in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. There's a divine restoration. There's a divine connecting. There's a divine gathering taking place. And we need to understand that we are coming together as a collective body, as a corporate body. The biggest the most authoritative and strongest anointing is not an individual anointing. You've got gifts, I've got gifts, you've got mantles, I've got mantles, you've got anointings, I've got anointings. And as strong as they are in the Spirit of God, based upon the authority of His Word, they are amplified when we come together in collective unity as the corporate body of Christ. And when we start acknowledging the least members as being important, you see that in the kingdom of God, there really is no big eyes or little U's. We are all saved by the same, we're all saved by the same grace. We're all washed by the same blood. Amen. It's not about position or titles or bishops or this or that. It's about, amen, we being the body of Christ. That's why the fivefold ministry was given according to Ephesians 4, that we might equip the saints for the in work of the ministry. The biggest movement prior, amen, to what we're going to see culminating in days ahead is the saints movement, the saints being equipped and empowered to walk together, not break rank, love one another, fight for one another. It's going to be that time when we see the, the Psalms 133 company come together where Jesus is the head, he's held in preeminence, and we are the body. And that oil of God begins to run down from the head across the beard, down to the very toes of that collective body. It's the corporate anointing. Saints of God, I thank God for every minister out there that is preaching, teaching, casting out devils, teaching the word, whatever they're doing. But I'm looking right now to the greatest event that's going to happen, and that is going to be a revelation of the many-membered body of Christ, and we're going to experience that corporate anointing when every joint is supplying to the benefit of the whole body. Everyone is operating in their gift their talent, their anointing, their grace. No one is standing aside idle as a spectator. We are becoming participators by the unction of God, by the direction of God, and glory to God. We're about to see the rise of that end-time marching army, the sleeping giant, the body of Christ, wake up and put on righteousness and being stirred in the gifts of the God and the gifts of the Spirit and going and destroying and demolishing the strongholds of the devil. Saints, it's time for warfare, but you don't have to be alone and you don't have to fight alone. God, for you that is out there tonight that feels isolated and, and feels that no one uh, uh, understands you or, or what you're working through or what you're going through, I decree and declare tonight by the word of the Lord that God is going to send you some sovereign kingdom connections. He's going to cause you, amen, to have a, a, a person call you, write you, amen, meet you someplace, and all of a sudden you're going to realize that as you begin to speak to each other, there's something inside you, glory to God, uh, that is of like faith and of like mind. You're, you're pregnant with the same word, and God is going to forge and bond spiritual relationships that's going to last. And it's going to be sometimes, amen, a lifetime friendship, a lifetime covenant, sometimes just temporary. But whatever that might be, you're not alone, and you don't have to fight alone. For you that are feeling, 
amen, forgotten, looked over, pushed back. Your church wouldn't let you, amen, use your gift. They wouldn't let you use your talent. They wouldn't let God use you, amen, in a way where there was liberty and power and, and life being released, amen. But they tried to put you in the back room and they tried to, amen, keep you hid and keep you quiet and keep you down and, and, and keep you this and keep you that. That's the very type of saints that I'm talking to tonight. You that have been used and abused by the religious system. They try to make you a prostitute for their own denomination. They try to make you a name, amen, that, that, that they gave you and not a name that he gave you. Because when a person is named, he who names that person has power over them. But I declare by the word of the Lord tonight, you've been given a new name, glory to God. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. The Lamb knows your new name. God is going to show you your new name. And even the devils in hell recognize that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Glory to God. That's why, amen, they don't want you out there doing what the Father called you to do. They don't want you to find your destiny. They don't want you to find your ministry. They don't want you to find your call, your gift, your talent. But glory to God, this is that day of revelation where God is showing you. He, he's showing you your, your, your call, your purpose, your time, your season, your gift, your grace. Your eyes are being opened. The eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your imagination are being opened to see, yes, this was God that spoke to me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. And do not let age hold you back or do not let age become a limitation to you. Amen. Moses was at his best at 80 years old. Glory to God. Sarah was at her best at 90 years old. Glory to God. You know what happened there? Amen. They brought forth life. Amen. In their latest of years. So you out there that think that you've been forgotten or, amen, left behind or you're too old to do this and that, you need to erase that lie out of your mind right now and take up on the mind of Christ that says this, that I'm your strength, I'm your quickening, I'm your life, I'm your resurrection. I don't care how old you might be or how young you might be. God has a place for all of you. As it was prophesied in the book of Acts, in the last days, says God, I will pour my spirit in all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall have visions. And upon my handmaid, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit, and that says all flesh. Young, middle-aged, old, there's many of you out there tonight that thinks you've crossed the line, that you're physically not fit, that you can't do this because of age or whatever the restriction might be. Well, for you that need to be healed, be healed tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Be healed of your infirmity, of your sickness, of your disease, and let God restore you to supernatural health and a life and abundance that He can give. Amen. And, and, and for you that thinks... Amen, that, that you don't have the mental acuity or the spiritual training. Amen. God has been giving you that all your lifetime. You might not recognize it. You might not have acknowledged it. But God has been putting it in you. He's been working in you to perform His good pleasure. And He's not going to forget you. And you're not going to fight alone. You're not going to, amen, fight, amen, uh, out of weakness. You're going to fight, amen, with uh, the strength of God and in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, but also with, uh, with other believers. God's going to send you some help. God's going to send you a true brother. God's going to send you a true sister where you can stand, amen, and not be uh, uh, taken out. Uh, you're, you're going to, have to learn how to put your shields together, amen, and, and have that corporate covering in, in, in the midst of that. And, you know, it just takes two or three. Jesus said, if two or three are gathered together in my name, I am right there in your midst. So, yeah, you may have been one lonely intercessor. You may have been one lonely prayer person. You may be one lonely person waiting on your call and your anointing and your ministry to be birthed, 
amen, and, and do what God told you to do, well, glory to God, he's sending spiritual midwives right now to help you birth because you've been in a season of travail, and when Zion travails, she shall bring forth. She shall bring forth children. She shall bring forth anointings. She shall bring forth giftings that's needed for this last fight that we're approaching very quickly. But we do not have to be afraid. God did not give us a spirit of fear, and he's giving us wisdom as warriors to be battle-ready in a time like this. Well, glory to God. Thank you, Father. Uh, Brother Curtis, are you there so I can take a breath? <laughs> of course, of course, Brother Marcus. I'm always here. I'm just, uh, again, uh, I'm just loving sitting back and just listening to all that, man. I tell you. Um, I, I tell you, I, I, I felt that just rolling out of my spirit tonight. And I'm not done. I got more to share. But, amen, I, I, I tell you, just, just go ahead and just, if you can, just, uh, you know, just amplify uh, some things that I said or, and, and, and share because you are part of this corporate body. Uh, God has uh, got his hand upon you, and we need to hear from you. Uh, we are not of those who despise <laughs> the youth. Well, Brother Marcus, I'm telling you, it's kind of hard to come after uh, come after that. Whenever things really start flowing from the Lord, you know, they, they just continue to flow and keep on flowing. And uh, a lot of times I can tell whenever, you know, you start transitioning from studying to just boom, <laughs> and letting amen. those gates flood open, amen. Oh, man, I tell you. Well, I trust the listeners are being blessed tonight by this uh, word because, like I said, this is something that God just dropped into my spirit this afternoon. I hadn't really planned and prepared to, you know, say a whole lot about this, but uh, God has given me the grace. And, you know, I'm not the best preacher. I don't know a lot of big words. Uh, sometimes I don't speak plainly. But uh, I thank God for his anointing on my life, and I thank God that it's the anointing that quickens the words that makes them alive to us, and it brings deliverance and healing and salvation as we simply yield to him. There's nothing more fun than just yielding to the Holy Ghost and just letting the Spirit of God be a spirit of liberty and doing whatever God wants to do. That's going to be one of the keys in this end-time army, Brother Curtis, is the Holy Spirit, amen, being the one that orchestrates the battles, being the ones that will bring us together and cause us to come together and stand in unity and cause us to link our shields together. And there's some more I want to share about that. Amen. How much time we got before break time coming up here? We got about six minutes left before the top of the hour. Okay. Well, give me about three, four more minutes, brother, and then I'm going to turn it back to you here in just a moment, and we'll take a break. Amen. Let me take a drink of coffee. Glory to God. Amen. (laughs) So um, I, I want to talk about, again, for just a moment, the shields, because a lot of times... You know, uh, we're told to have the shield of faith in Ephesians 6, and it's called specifically the shield of faith, and there's a reason for that. There's a purpose for that. Amen. But a lot of times when we take on our shields, we only attribute that faith to a faith that we may have been raised in or in the denomination that we were saved in. You know, because a lot of, I, I was saved in the Baptist church. I love the Baptist folk. I mean, they're soul winners. Uh, I mean, they get out there and and, and win souls for Jesus. And so I was raised in a denomination, and and for, you know, the time that I was there, short time, brief time, but the time that I was there, man, I thought they were it. I thought they, you know, had the uh, knowledge of the Word of God, you know, uh, as how they say that. Um, They had had the market um, on the Word, And, 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 and I found that that was not true. I found that other segments of the body, 
has revelations on the Word. But we cannot let our shields become denominational shields. They must remain the shield of the one true faith. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, amen, verse 5, we, we find the Scripture saying something about, amen, the, the unity and the power of oneness. And it says in Ephesians 4, 5, One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So there is a place that we have to allow our faith to be the common faith that we must contend for that was once delivered to the saints. The faith that was delivered to the saints was a simplistic faith, and the gospel was this. Jesus was crucified, Jesus was buried, but Jesus was raised in the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, and when he ascended on high, he sent back the Holy Spirit to empower his believers. Now, that is the gospel of the kingdom in a nutshell. That is the faith that the early believers taught and preached and lived. They saw, amen, a supernatural living God manifest himself through them. They acknowledged, amen, one God and one Father. And that's the Father that sent Jesus for God's soul of the world, that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall have life everlasting and not have to experience eternal damnation. Okay, so they acknowledged the oneness of the Father, the, the oneness of the Son, and they operated in a uh, conformity of faith. And when I say conformity of faith, I mean the kingdom and not the world and not to religion. So we must never let our, amen, shields of faith become shields that, amen, taunt a single denomination or a single religious belief system. They must be shields of unfeigned faith it's God who deals out the measure of faith to men. For God, the Bible says, has dealt to every man the measure of faith. The faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The faith to be saved, amen, by His grace. The faith to walk in the supernatural dimensions of the Holy Spirit and demonstrate the reality of the living Jesus. To demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of God in power. Because when the kingdom comes, it comes in power and demonstration. When we see devils cast out, we know that we see the kingdom of God is at hand. When we see the lame walk and the blind see and deaf ears open, we understand that the kingdom of God has come in power. And we see his miracles. We see his signs. We see his wonders because we're holding up one shield of faith. Amen. Now, it's time that we take our shields of faith, come into a unity to keep, amen, that unity in the spirit that God has already made in the bond of peace, amen, and to join ourselves together in that one faith. And when we name our shields, we must, amen, end up turning uh, them to the Lord. And, and we must operate in his name, not the name of a denomination, a religious sect, or a religious theological system, but in the kingdom. Because a lot of times, too many, Brother Curtis, too many times, we see that once a person gets a shield of faith in the kingdom, they'll take that same shield and end up turning that shield on one another and making it an offensive weapon. Uh, they'll, they'll end up fighting the bad fight of personal doctrine rather than fighting the good fight of faith. Okay, I better stop right there, cause, and, 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 and let me say it one more time. I'm going to turn it back to you, Brother Curtis. We end up fighting the bad fight of personal doctrine rather than fighting the good fight of faith. We can only fight the good 
fight of faith, when we embrace the one faith that the Bible talks about, and we cover each other, amen, with our shields as well as ourselves in the love and the faith of God. I want to get back and just share some more. I, I, I got on a roll earlier. I, I hope that's okay with the listeners because when I get in that flow and that roll, uh, I, I just yield to it. Uh, I, I, I want to give you the uncompromised Word of God uh, preached or taught in the power and demonstration of the Spirit and the purity of faith uh, without religious overtones or doctrines of men entangled or mixed with it. I want to give you the pure Word of God. But we are coming into a time, saints, that uh, we must learn to stand and fight together and have ourselves, amen, covered with the whole armor of God and fight the real enemy. And the enemy is not our fellow believers, our fellow brothers, our fellow sisters. Our real enemy is the enemy that has been the enemy from the inception of his fall. And that is the devil and all the fallen angels that fell with him, all the other powers and ranks of demonic structures uh, that were created uh, in his kingdom from the second heaven. But we are going to have to learn, amen, to trust in the Lord and be fully equipped and trained for this level of spiritual warfare that we're coming into. And, you know, sadly in the church, we come to a point now where we see a lot of professional ministry. And when I say professional ministry, I'm talking about religious ministry that's void of the power of God, void of the truth of the word, but just go through the motions, not even knowing that the Lord has writ, written Ichabod over their doors. Because in the professional ministry that we see cropping up in our land today, there seems to be one thing that matters, and that's size. It's all about butts in the building. The more padded pews we can put people in, the greater success we are the greater ability we have and the stronger we are and the more we know. But see, that's professional ministry where only size matters. Amen. And we sometimes think you know, that, that if the crowd is small, amen, that uh, a church that is small in number, that the Lord is not there. And, and, and again, that is not true. Again, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, he said again, I reemphasize this, where just two or three are gathered in my name, he's there. When we're gathered together in his name, it's not a size game. It's not about who's got the biggest number of members in the church and how many butts we can pack the pews with, but it's about the presence of the Lord being there. We get so focused on, you know, amen, a platform rather than presence. Amen, uh, inspiration rather than, amen, revelation. Or, 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 you know, gifts rather than presence or talent rather than anointing. Saints, it's time we return back to the foundation of the name, the foundation of the word, the foundation of the spirit. For these are three witnesses, amen, in heaven. Amen, we have to return back to the simplicity of the preaching of the gospel. We have to turn back to where we believe we are going to see the manifested glory of God and the manifested power of God. Amen. And so we're not looking at numbers. I told Curtis this. And, and he agreed that when we have this conference at the end of April into the first week of May, we're not looking to have a lot of people. We don't know how many is going to show up, and we're not concerned about how many show up. Whether many or few, it doesn't matter who shows up in the flesh. What matters is that the Lord himself shows up, and we give him the liberty to do what he wants to do. Because there are so many people coming with bruises and brokenness, 
They're bewildered. They've been cast aside and castigated. They become outcasts. They, they need spiritual renewal. They need impartation. They need empowerment. So we're not concerned about the numbers. We're concerned about them coming at the direction and leading of the Holy Spirit because God in this conference is going to begin to, amen, renew and restore wounded warriors. Amen. I've been wounded before. Some of you are wounded tonight, but God is going to heal you. He's going to, amen, mend you in your brokenness. He's going to cause the bruises and the pain, amen, of external and internal, amen, persecution uh, to, to, to be healed by the power of God. He's going to heal you emotionally. He's going to heal you from words that people have spoken against you, that you are not good enough and you, you're not talented enough and, and you'll never amount to anything. Uh, and, and, and because you're a, a peculiar person in the kingdom, that, that they want to expel you from their immediate fellowship because you don't fit their religious mold. Well, glory to God and thank God you don't fit their religious mold. Because you don't, you don't want to be contained and boxed in by man's traditions and man's thoughts. You want to be the man or woman that God made you to be. God made you unique. He made you, amen, having various degrees of giftings and diversities of giftings. And he wants you to be able to have the freedom and the empowerment of the Spirit to use those gifts, amen, to destroy the works of the devil and to set the captives free, to relieve the oppressed and to preach the good news to those who sat in darkness. He wants to use you, amen, but he wants to refresh you and mend you and mold you and put you back together because men have broke you and beaten you, amen, by religious ideas and words, amen, and, and they did not want you a part of them because you wanted the liberty of the Spirit of God. You wanted to obey God, and all they wanted to do was to go by a routine, ritualistic, amen, format, uh, a church formality. They weren't concerned about giving the Holy Ghost place, they weren't concerned about, amen, the word of God being spoken and, and, and a girl's leg being healed or a heart being healed or cancer being healed. They don't want you to upset their religious cart. They don't want you to upset their program, their system. But I want to tell you, you that are worship warriors, God's going to use you just like he did his son Jesus, amen, to stop the funeral lines, to raise the dead, amen, to heal people, amen, when it's not a timely place or a timely, amen, season to do it. Uh, you're going to have the Sadducees and Pharisees always mocking you and scoffing at you and trying to shut you down because you're simply wanting to obey the voice of your beloved Father. You're wanting to obey the uh, voice of the Holy Spirit, and, and he wants to anoint you, amen, to do extraordinary things for his kingdom. And men could not, amen, swallow this. They, could not, they did not want to contend with it. They wanted to keep their safe culture religiously they wanted to keep their doctrine safe and and keep it sound as, as as they thought it would be but they don't even know sound doctrine because sound doctrine is the living word preached in the power and demonstration of the spirit where god shows up and confirms his word by signs wonders and miracles and gifts of the holy ghost some of you got put out and put off because you are there, you are trying to pray the prayer of faith over someone that was crying for an intervention of God or crying for help, and they tried to shut you down. They tried to put you out. They'd ask you to leave. Amen. They, they closed the door behind you. Amen. And, and they didn't want you to be a part because you came with liberty, and all they knew was bondage. But glory to God. Amen. God is going to raise you up as worship warriors. Well, you're not 
desires to be a part of some kind of men's professional ministry where it's all about superstars, amen, where it's all about, you know, big offerings and big butts on big pews, but where it's about, amen, touching and changing lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. Glory to God. But it's going to take, amen, those shields of faith. You know, the Roman soldiers, when, again, uh, they were going into battle, what they did is they took their shields and they used olive oil to keep their shields from drying out. Now, some of the original uh, Roman soldiers' uh, uh, shields were made of different layers of animal skin, some of up to six or seven layers of animal skin. Well, if you don't keep uh, skin supple by the proper ointment, it will become dry and brittle, and the soldiers could not allow that to happen, okay, because the opposite enemy, amen, would again use uh, fiery arrows uh, or, or spears that had uh, flames, uh, on the end, they were prepared where they would burn, and they would launch or aim these arrows or spears uh, towards the uh, um, shields of the Roman soldiers. And again, if the soldiers had not properly prepared their shields, their shields would catch on fire, and they would become distracted, and therefore they would become hit by other um, uh, instruments of, of warfare and, and tools of war, whether it be a sword or a spear because now they couldn't have their shield to deflect the incoming, amen, uh, enemy weapons. So we need the oil of the Holy Spirit to be applied daily to our shield of faith. And, and why do we have to have, amen, our shield of faith oiled through the supple oils of the Holy Spirit daily? Because if we don't, our faith can become dry and become brittle. Faith is meant to be operative. Faith is meant to flow Faith is meant to work. We're not to be hearers only, but we're to be doers of the word. Therefore, we're to keep our faith active. That's why every time that you have a chance to pray for someone, stir up your faith, apply your faith, lift up your shield of faith. Amen. Engage that need in prayer. Amen. And, and be constantly looking for an opportunity to, amen, exercise the faith of God in you. Look for opportunities to pray for people. Make opportunities to pray for people. Pray for them whether they ask you or not. You'd be surprised. Some people are just shy and they're afraid to ask you, uh, amen, to have people uh, pray for them in public or something. But if you just start praying, my God, next thing you know, tears are coming to their eyes and they're getting delivered or healed or, or touched by God and restored. Amen. So be bold in your prayer. Take opportunity in your prayer, amen, whether private or public. Amen. And exercise your faith. Exercise your faith. And, and so we need to understand that we must keep our, amen, shields of faith properly anointed. In fact, there's a scripture that tells us to anoint our shields. Look it up. Go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 21, and read verse 5, and the scripture will tell us to anoint our shields. Because, see, the, 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 the people that engaged in natural warfare, they knew the necessity of keeping their war, weapons of warfare properly, amen, prepared for battle, amen? And so we must have the oil of the Spirit of God applied to our shield of faith because those fiery darts are going to come. That's what Ephesians 6.16 6, talks about, that having the shield of faith, okay, we must be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, you might ask me, well, the Bible says to anoint your shield. Well, how do you anoint your shield? Well, let me give you a scripture. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 10, and I want to share with you verse 17. 
This is one of the keys of how you can keep your shield of faith properly and readily prepared for battle in the spirit realm. Now, in Romans 10, whoop, I went right past it. Romans 10, verse 17, says this, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So one way to, to anoint your shield of faith is to have a listening ear to hear his voice. We have to daily position ourselves before the Lord to receive instruction from him. The Lord is more than willing to give you instruction, direction, information, revelation, as you daily position yourself before him. He wants to tell you what to do, where to go, who to see, how to maintain on your job, how to be a light and a witness wherever you're at. Amen. He wants you to be able to have your shield of faith ready by embracing or embracing his voice, amen, and listening to what he has to say. Now, in that verse of 17, I need to I need to let you know this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, the word word in verse 17 of Romans chapter 10 is not referring to the written word. It's not referring to the Bible. When it says by the hearing of the word of God, the word itself there means the rhema word of God, the spoken word of God, the quickened word of God. A rhema is a personal instruction or a personal revelation, amen, to you as a believer that will line up with the written word, but it does not necessarily come from the written word. Now, rhema can be a scripture from the written word that's quickened and made personal to you by the Holy Spirit, or a rhema can be a word that's directive and not necessarily found in the written scripture, but is not going beyond the scope or the validity of the scripture. Let me give you an example. I've had the Holy Ghost to tell me sometime, I want you to go pray for brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Well, I can't turn from Genesis to Revelations and find in the scripture a written verse that tells me to go and pray for brother or sister so-and-so. But yet, when I position myself to hear the voice of the Father for his instructions and directions, amen, he can tell me through specific insight and instruction what I should do to be a blessing to someone, to help someone. Uh, he may want me to go and pray for someone's salvation. He may ask me and direct me to go and pray for someone's physical healing. He may go and direct me to have someone, amen, uh, uh, surrender or submit themselves to, amen, uh, uh, deliverance, casting out devils, amen. Now, again, he can give you specific personal instruction, which is a rhema from God. Now, understand when he gives you a rhema word, then when he gives that rhema word to you, you have faith to obey it. Because once the rhema word is spoken to you as a believer, then faith comes because you've already heard what God said to do. So first you have to hear, and what you have to hear is a living, amen, directive, personal word from the Holy Spirit. And then once he delivers that into your spirit, that you might obey and not just be a hearer but be a doer of the word after you've heard his voice, then the faith will come to act upon what he told you to do. Amen. There's going to be times that you will not have faith to do what you believe you should do until you hear him speak. 
But when you hear his voice speak to your redeemed spirit, Mark, Barbara, Tom, go here, do this, do that. Amen. When he tells you specific instruction, then you will have the faith to do exactly what the Father said to do. And please, be obedient to how he gives it to you. God can give you the place, the person, the time, the outcome of what he wants you to go and pray about or pray for someone. God can give you that by revelation on the spot. If he gives it to you in a vision form, if he shows you a vision of you going to pray for someone, please be obedient to the heavenly vision. Please do it just like he showed you in the vision. Don't diminish your word and don't miss a mark. Amen. Act upon what he has shown you with specificity. Act upon each thing he's shown you. If he shows you to do something in a divine order, please do it in a divine order. Don't try to, amen, use your reason to outreason the wisdom of God. Just do it as he shows it to you. And I can guarantee you that the word works. The written word works. The rhema word works. And when he tells you by his spirit, I want you to go and do this, all you've got to do is hear that word, and then the faith will come to believe it. And when the faith comes to believe it, you can go and do it. Because you've not been a hearer only, but now you're becoming an active participant in what the Lord showed you to do. So go and do what he said. Go and do what he has showed you. Do it in the faith that comes after you hear what he told you to do. Amen? So this faith is going to come by hearing. Hearing his voice, not your voice. Amen. Not the voice of some other stranger, but the voice of the Lord. Your obedience to hear his voice may, amen, be the very thing that is going to bring a release to a captive, healing to a suffering person, salvation to an unbeliever, amen, or deliverance to a demoniac, amen. Your obedience to his voice is very important. Now, that also brings up this. Well, how do I know it's his voice? Well, first of all, knowing his voice comes by knowing him. If you don't know him, you're not going to know your, his voice. Because knowing him, amen, entails an intimacy. Amen. If, if you're out in a crowd and you hear the voice of your wife or the voice of your husband speak out and speak your name, even though there are many other people around, because you've been intimate with that person through marriage covenant, you're going to recognize that voice. You're going to say, amen, oh, that's my wife, that's my uh, uh, husband. Uh, he, he's, he's calling me, he's telling me something. And you respond to it. If he bids you to come or if she bids you to come, you'll navigate through that crowd of people to get to where they're at and see what they called you for. And so it comes by relationship and intimacy. So, And the more you practice his presence, glory to God, you learn to discern that which is spirit and that which is soul. God is spirit, and he speaks to your redeemed spirit, and then while he speaks to your redeemed spirit, will overflow into your, amen, redeemed soul. But you must learn to hear him by the spirit. His spirit speaks to your spirit, and your spirit is one with his spirit. He that's joined to the Lord, the Bible says, is one spirit. You have a union with him. You have a, a, a fellowship with him. You have a, an intimate relationship with him, and therefore, you begin to hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and a stranger they will not follow. Well, if you're not for sure it's the voice of the Lord, spend more time with him. Because 
once you spend time with the genuine, you won't be deceived by the counterfeit. You'll learn to discern if that's the voice of a stranger in your soul or if that's the voice of some strange doctrine or some strange spirit. The more you spend time in the presence of the Father, the more you love him, the more you worship him, the more you have an intimate fellowship with him on a daily basis. You see, I, you know, praise God, I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm learning to come to that maturity of the walk where he can speak to me at any time. I don't have to be in a special time of consecrated prayer. I don't have to be, amen, uh, uh, in my secret closet, amen, of prayer. I don't have to be on a 40-day on a fast, although these things are good. You should go into your prayer closet. You should spend extended times with the Lord just loving on him, just worship him, and just telling him how much you love him because he's due that worship. But I've had the Father speak to me so many times when I'm driving, uh, when, when I'm driving my automobile. I'm listening to his voice as I'm watching the road. Uh, sometimes when I'm uh, in, the, in the restroom shaving, the Lord often speaks to me when I'm shaving. So there, there's no particular position of prayer, but it's the posture of the heart and the posture of your spiritual ear where you're always desirous to be tuned in, listening for his voice. Because when you love him, you want to hear his voice. You want to hear him say to you, you're accepted in the beloved. You want to hear him say, son, I love you, daughter, I love you. You want to hear him just say something to you. Because when you love someone, you, you, you cherish the moment you hear them speak. Even if, even if it's just casual conversation, there's something about their voice because you, 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 you're joined to them, you love them, you just want to hear his voice, hear her voice. Amen? Hear your wife's voice, your husband's voice. You want to hear that voice speak because it's special to you. It has meaning to you. And that's the way the Father's voice is. You get to that place where you're so passionate to hear him talk, you'll get and just wait in his presence. You'll just want to be still and just know that he's God. And you might be there five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes, an hour. And you might not hear a single sound. But all of a sudden, you hear that still, small voice of our beloved speaking to your heart. And it just melts you in his presence. And just one word from him will overwhelm you and apprehend you to where you want to stay and linger in his presence. You want to hang out there. Let the telephone ring. Let them knock at the door. Let, let, let your iPad and E-pad and O-pad and U-pad and all these pads go off. Amen. Let someone try to, amen, frustrate you from the presence of God. But you'll be so locked up and so locked in, amen, that secret place with Him. You'll be so transfixed by that face-to-face -face visitation that you would not want to come out. You will not want to rush out. It's not a fast food relationship. It's not a time to run in and run out, but it's a time that you just get so caught up with the voice of your beloved that you want to stay, that you want to linger in fellowship with him. You want to hear him say something else to you beyond just the fact that he loves you. You want to listen for his instruction. You want to listen for his direction. You want to wait for revelation to come to your spirit from the very throne of God because you understand the love that the Father has for you. And you want to express the passion that you have for him. And sometimes that love relationship will last for minutes, hours at a time. But you come to that place that you get so lost up and, and just lost in his presence. You just don't want to be drawn out. 
You don't want to be pulled out. And, of course, I know that we have a natural life with natural work and natural things we have to do. So there's a time we have to come out of that presence and, and, and get grounded back, amen, on planet Earth here. But we don't lose the, the purpose of that moment because it impacts us. It's ingrained in our spiritual DNA. A true visitation from the Lord, from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit will always make, amen, a, 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 an impact in your spirit and in your soul and sometimes even in your physical body. But it will always touch your spiritual DNA. Amen. Allow the Spirit of God to work with you in your prayer, work with you in your spiritual warfare training, because he's going to give you, amen, the right person to look to, and that is to Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes, he glorifies Jesus. And he will show you how to yield your, you know, use your shield of faith and how to how to use it and, and yield it as an offensive and defensive weapon, you know, once you begin to hear his voice. Now, there's another way also to uh, really anoint your shield. Uh, and I hope you look that scripture up, Isaiah 21, verse 5, because it says to anoint your shield. But there's another way besides just hearing his voice to anoint your shield, and that's to learn to pray in the Spirit. And I'm going to read verse 20 in the epistle of Jude. But, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, there's two ways that I want to elaborate on this scripture tonight. First of all, amen, when we talk about praying in the Spirit or praying with the Spirit, for those who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they have been given a divine, supernatural prayer language. And by faith, they can operate and pray in that prayer language. And it's actually not them praying, but they're praying in or with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's actually praying through them. You see, when we don't know how to pray, the book of Romans tells us that the Holy Spirit will pray, amen, for us. He will come and he will, sometimes even with groanings, uh, he will make petitions and prayers to the Father in a language that we are not actually you know, uh, understanding at the given time that we're yielding to the Holy Spirit. Now, if a person has not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they can still pray in cooperation with the indwelling Holy Spirit. So you're praying uh, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit or you're praying in the supernatural prayer language that God has graced you with. And I believe that this particular scripture more so leans to praying in the Spirit uh, with that spiritual uh, utterance and it will cause you to build up your most holy faith. Prayer warriors and worship warriors must have their faith built up. They must have their shield of faith anointed before they go into battle. And this is simply another way, amen, of having uh, that accomplished by learning to pray. Well, I shouldn't say learning, allowing the Holy Spirit to pray in you and to pray with you. Now, the Apostle Paul, he was so excited about this spiritual gift, he said, he boasted in God. He said, I, I thank God that I uh, pray in tongues more than you all. I speak in tongues more than you all. And that was him boasting in the Lord. Because the Apostle Paul knew by experience, amen, the power of praying in the Spirit. That is one reason that he could be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to obey the Holy Spirit in good assignments or even what turned out to be not so good assignments. Because he prayed in the Spirit and he was sensitive to the direction and the rest and the comfort and the security that the Holy Spirit gave him during those times of prayer. Now, you know, he, he was boasting in the Lord. He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So the Apostle Paul knew the power and the purpose of this supernatural gift. It's not something that you make up. It's not soulish gibberish. 
It's not some psychological babble. It is a true language gift from the Holy Spirit when you receive the Holy Spirit. I know I was there when the Holy Spirit fell upon Brother Curtis. We were in a home prayer meeting. And when the Holy Spirit fell, I mean the room, the atmosphere was charged with the presence of God. And before you know it, he was starting to speak baby syllables in the Spirit. Glory to God. And, and as he began to yield and exercise to that indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, you know, there, I mean, I, I, I thank God for the Holy Spirit. Jesus Amen. knew the importance of sending the Holy Spirit. After he sent the Holy Spirit, amen, uh, he was able to, amen, do so many more things rather than functioning from a limited one physical body person. Amen. The Holy Spirit came back truly as, as a spirit, amen, where Jesus in his manhood and godhood was in one single physical body. He could not be in his physical body everywhere at a given time, but the Holy Spirit could. In fact, Jesus said this. He said in his gospel, in, in, in the books of the gospel, it's, more, it's, it's better, it's expedient. It's much more beneficial that I go away and send the Holy Spirit because Jesus knew the limitations that he had in just one physical body. But when the Holy Spirit was sent back from heaven as a gift from Jesus, amen, then the Holy Spirit, being spirit, could indwell every redeemed, born-again believer in their redeemed spirit at the very same time, amen, because there was no limitation to the, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God... And Jesus talked about this, the Spirit of God that came without measure. You couldn't measure the full personhood or the full impact or the full presence or the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, it's better that I go and send you the Holy Spirit back. Because more could be done and more could be accomplished in the collective corporate body of Christ. But the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15 and verse 18, he talked about this blessed gift. And I encourage everybody... If you've not been, amen, receptive to the fullness of the Spirit, well, uh, you don't know what you're missing. Amen. Uh, glory to God, you just don't know what you're missing. It's, it's that experience beyond the outer court. Uh, it's that holy place experience that he wants to, amen, show you the power and presence of the Holy Spirit by allowing him to come inside you and living inside you and dwelling you as a fellow believer. Now, I want to... Just talk about this for a moment, too, because there's another important part, amen, of, of the tools and weapons of, of a soldier that's uh, spoken of in the Bible. And this is not actually in Ephesians chapter 6. This is actually in the book of Hebrews. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 4, where I'm going to read verse 12. Now, please get this, because this is very important. Verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know what, Brother Curtis? There is so much in this one scripture that I could probably take an entire hour and teach on this, this one scripture. But uh, I'm going to try to simplify it tonight, okay? The two-edged sword here in Hebrews 4.12 is referring to, first of all, he as the living word speaking. So one amen side of the sword, which is the living word, and the sharper than any two-edged sword, is the voice of him that speaks to you. It's the living word. It's the Lord. It's his word living and speaking to you. 
And then on the flip side of the sword is your mouth speaking his word in agreement. So he's speaking to you, and you're speaking back to him what he has already said because you're agreeing and decreeing and declaring what he has said. And in, in fact, if you go and study the Greek, in the Greek, the word or the phrase two-edged, it literally means two mouths. <laughs> yeah, it means the two-edged sword literally means two mouths. Well, again, that's him speaking to you and you speaking back to him what he's already said to you in agreement. That's the two-edged sword. It's his mouth and your mouth speaking the very same thing. When your mouth is fixed to speak what God has already said and the faith comes to believe it and to declare it or to act upon it, amen, it's just like him speaking. It's just like the word proceeding out of his mouth because it is happening in that sense because you have become his mouth and you have now come into agreement with his word and you're speaking his word. And the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that angels, the holy angels of God, are waiting to take heed to the spoken word. Angels obey the spoken word of God. So if he speaks to you and you speak back to him what he's already spoken to you in complete full agreement, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have the ministering spirits, the angels of God, who are the, uh, uh, the, the ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation, which is you, to begin to move and act on your behalf. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I, want to, I want to say this. We never get fixated on angels, but angels of God are real. They're a promise in the first book or first chapter of Hebrews to be ministering spirits to and for the heirs of salvation. Those that have been bought by the blood of Jesus. Angels will minister to you and for you, but only if you allow his two-edged sword to be in your mouth. Him speaking to you and you speaking back to him what he's already spoken. That is declaration and confession. You're confessing what he has said, amen, and, 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 and you're even declaring things that are not as though they be. That's how God talks. He declares things to be before they are. And he wants you to begin to speak in that same faith language, declaring things to be that though you do not see them as they are in that moment, when you declare them and decree them to be as such by the unction of the Spirit, and the sword of the Spirit is operating through you, as he speaks to you and you speak back to him, then creative miracles happen. Divine manifestation takes place. Amen. Intervention happens. Uh, the, 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 the power of God shows up, and you see the change. You see the, the, the miracle. You see the manifestation. So begin to speak what he speaks to you. There's nothing greater than two witnesses. Amen. Uh, the Bible says, let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Well, when you speak to God about what he's already spoken to you, there you have the first and second witness. And then after you've spoken what he's spoken and you're in agreement with it and you've spoken it, then the third witness, the angels of God will come and begin to operate and act, amen, and move on the behalf of the word that you've spoken to or, or that you've spoken with, amen, as God has already spoken. Uh, I hope you follow that all. But, you know, the Bible talks here about the rhema word. This word here, again, is the rhema word of God, the quickened, spoken, spirit-inspired, Holy Ghost unction word to you as a believer. And it, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, 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 it's the kind of word that causes your soul and your spirit to become, amen, divided rightfully. Because 
Amen. The Father wants you to be a man or a woman who worships Him in spirit and in truth. I want you to uh, write this scripture down or turn to it. It's in Second Timothy, chapter three, verse five. Now, the reason I'm sharing this scripture is because we've seen a digression of the true faith that was once delivered to the saints because people stopped contending for it. When people stop contending for the true faith that was delivered to the saints, they start accepting substitutes, men's theology, men's ideas, and men's traditions. And that is not where the power of God is. That's not where the life of God is. So we see that in Second Timothy chapter 3, we, we find amen, uh, a description of people manifesting these certain traits in the last days. And I might as well just start reading at verse 1, but I want to end up in verse 5. This know also that in the last days, we're in the last days right now, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetousness, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unholy, unthankful, uh, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers. Boy, I could stop and talk about that for a while. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, trady, trady, I'm sorry, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Here's verse 5, very important. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now, this is going to be a hard saying that I'm about to give to you. It might be difficult to wrap your faith around. It might be difficult to, you know, if the Holy Spirit convicts you of this, to actually do what the Scripture says. But the Bible lets us know that we need to have a demonstration of the faith through the power of the Holy Spirit and not just a, a dry confession of faith. So many believers have been reduced to a dry confession of faith to where they no longer see, if they have ever seen, a supernatural manifestation of the power of God. When you see God manifest himself, when you see God confirm his word, through signs, wonders, and miracles. It brings your faith to a new level and a new dimension to believe him for anything and everything. I know many believers, they love the Lord, but they only have a confession of faith. Okay, They, they have a form of godliness, but they've been robbed of the power and of the person and of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their faith. There are so many groups out there that, you know, that call themselves by the name of God, that are religious, but they deny the power thereof. They, they, they do not allow the Holy Spirit to be the spirit of liberty. Uh, they don't want to talk about the supernatural power of God. They don't want to you know, grasp onto the signs and wonders and miracles because I know some have seen the false and fake, but you can't disqualify the true because the false has been out there. That is a strategy and a wile of Satan to cause you to stay away from the real by simply hearing about the false. But God wants to bring you to a place where you're not only uh, conforming, amen, to his word and you speaking his word, but seeing that word come alive, seeing that word made real by the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Paul said this in Scripture. He said, when I come, my words are not just with enticing men's of words wisdom, but when I come and preach and teach, I come in the power and the demonstration of the Spirit. Paul saw a tangible demonstration of the word that he preached. Many of you heard, have heard the word preached and taught for years, but you've never seen a supernatural manifestation of God's power. You haven't seen the 
blind see, the lame walk. Amen. You haven't seen devils cast out. You haven't seen, amen, supernatural miracles in a person's physical body because you weren't taught it. And some of you were taught that those days of miracles have passed and that God doesn't do miracles today. God doesn't heal today. Well, I'm telling you, the same Jesus that I'm talking about today does not change. The Bible says in Hebrews, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he healed yesterday, if he healed 2,000 years ago, then he still, by his word, heals today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will heal up until the time that we have our resurrection bodies when we don't need healing. God is a healer. He shed his blood on Calvary that you might be saved and healed by his supernatural power. All you have to do is believe. To him that believes all things are possible. So please don't allow your faith to be denigrated to a point where it simply becomes a dry confession. But you see the tangible operation of the Spirit of God confirming that word. God wants to confirm his word. He wants to show you how real his word really is. It's not just a good Bible story. It's not just a good Sunday school lesson. His word is real. It's filled with power and demonstration if you will allow the Holy Spirit to make it alive. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, amen, operative in our faith. Otherwise, it's simply but a dead, dry confession. And, you know, we're in a time of warfare right now where we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to try the spirits because there are many voices out there. There are many spirits out there. And that's why the Scripture exhorts us to try the spirits and see if these spirits be of God. You as a spiritual warrior, you as a worship warrior, you must learn to try the spirits. Learn to try every spirit. Every spirit that comes to you is not of God. The spirit that is of God is the spirit of truth, which Jesus said, glory to God, will teach you all truth. Amen? But as you're growing in the grace and knowledge of God, as you're maturing in him, other people, other voices will come, and, and they will begin to even sound similar to even the voice of God or, 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 the, or the voice of his word because his word has a voice. His word speaks to you. When you read it with the mentoring and tutorship of the Holy Spirit, his word will speak to you. But you as a spiritual warrior, you have to do what, amen, the epistle of First Thessalonians, amen, says in chapter 5, verse 21. You've got to, amen, prove all things. And hold fast to that which is good. So the way you prove things is by trying them and testing them. Testing the spirits and testing the voices. And, and uh, I, I, this is a touchy subject, but I've got to touch on this. Any form of ancestral worship, any form or type of ancestral spirit worship that would appear and receive worship is an evil seducing spirit, according to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Okay, these are the times we're living in, the times of deception and the times of seduction. That's why you've got to test the spirits. That's why you've got to prove all things, because this is that time that the Spirit speaks expressly about. That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons and doctrines of devils. Okay, this is the time we're living in, and it's escalating. It's becoming stronger in the dimensions of darkness, the greater deception. The, the greater lies, uh, the, the greater temptations. So you as a worship warrior, you must be able to discern true worship. And if there's any type of ancestral worship or any type of in 
ancestral spirit worship that's taking place in people that you connect with or fellowship with, you need to turn and flee. You need to run. Amen? Not out of fear, out of reverence for the fear of God for who he really is. We, amen, are not allowed to participate as believers in Jesus in ancestral spirit worship or ancestor worship uh, because these spirits, these seducing spirits, will come in and they will try to personify an ancestral uh, personage in our family line. They will try to take upon characteristics of voice and appearance in the realms of darkness and try to seduce people away from real faith. And, and, and this is very prevalent in certain cultures. Uh, you have, you know, voodoo and hoodoo and all these other doo-doos out there, amen, that's practicing ancestral, you know, worship. And, 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 and some are doing it with knowledge, some are doing it out of ignorance. But demons come and masquerade themselves in these types of meetings and types of gatherings. Don't ever be a part of any type of seance or any type of, uh, of horoscope reading or any type of, uh, of, of gathering where you know, they invoke the spirits of ancestors because they will come and they will manifest and they will seem so yep. friendly. They will try to make you believe the lie that you're in touch with you know, good spirits and, and, and the great spirit, but you're not. This is wrong spiritual type of worship. This is evil. This is sinful. Uh, you're giving place to seducing spirits and, when, and, and familiar spirits. And the Bible very specifically talks about familiar spirits. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27, and 1 Samuel chapter 28, if you read those scriptures, you'll find how amen, these seducing spirits took on the form of familiar spirits to seduce people away from the true and living God and from true, true faith. Now, uh, again, this is a hard saying, but hear me. Among some, amen, uh, indigenous tribes in Australia and Africa and among some Native American Indians and other shamans and other uh, leaders, they, they use these spirit guides to try to contact the living. And a lot of times when these spirits show up, they will manifest themselves through natural objects uh, as to gain your uh, intrigue or gain your interest or gain your attention. And as these spirits become more seductive, they can take on certain uh, appearances, manifestations, voices. But this is, again, wrong worship. You're, you're having you know, uh, familiar spirits show up and, and begin to try to deceive and seduce even the very electable if possible. And, and so we must, as worship warriors, begin to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to allow us to try the spirits and prove all things, hold fast only to that which is good, and uh, if, 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 if people are trying to seduce you and get you involved in these false uh, types of worship, you need to simply let them know, look, I know the true and living God. I know the true and living way, and his name is Jesus. The truth, he's the way, the truth, and life. And, and you cannot follow the voice of the stranger. So we need to know that. Because um, God, he's, he, he's against any and all forms of idolatry. Because any kind of idolatry, any, any size, shape, or form of idolatry, what that is, is actually the worship of devils. Well, now, how do I know that? Well, I know that because that's what the Scripture very plainly teaches. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, if you read verse uh, 19 through 21, in fact, let me do that right now. I'm turning to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19 through 21. Now, hear this, what the Apostle Paul wrote. This is very important. He said, what say I then, and, and Paul here, what he's addressing, he's talking about the prohibition of, of idol feasts, uh, people eating things to idols, 
and uh, becoming involved and attracted to idol worship. Uh, in verse 14 of that chapter, he says, flee from idolatry. Okay, And then down in verse 19, he says, what say I then? That the idols anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to the idols is anything? Because see, truly, in the realm of the spirit, there, there, there's no power in an idol itself, nor is there any power in a sacrifice amen, that's offered to an idol. But here's where the power is. It's in what you worship. It's not the object itself. It's the personhood of the worship to whom you give your adoration to. He says this in verse 20. He says, I say then that these things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. Now, fellowship there means worship. So if you're involved in any kind of amen, uh, uh, false idolatry or false worship, you're worshiping devils. Now, don't get mad at me because I didn't write the book. The Holy Ghost did. <laughs> and then in verse 21, he says, You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of the devils. So what he's saying here is you cannot mix idolatry and true faith in Jesus together. You have to choose one from the other. You have to choose to have fellowship with devils or fellowship with the Lord. And you do that through the power and person of the Holy Spirit and the blood of the cross, which was shed for your sins. You do that for, by forsaking every other false god and false form of worship. There can be no mixture. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Bible prohibits mixture of certain things in the law. In the New Testament, it forbids mixture of certain things in spirit. You cannot celebrate the Lord and celebrate demons you cannot worship the living God and worship demons. You have to make a choice. You cannot sit at the Lord's table and eat of the kingdom feast and also take food, amen, uh, from the devil's table and eat it. You have to choose which place you're going to eat from. You can't have the best of both worlds. You can't, amen, serve two masters. You've got to hate one and despise the other. The reason a lot of people in Africa and Australia and other indigenous tribes amen, across the world, uh, amen, uh, are, are not always strong in the faith is because they try to hold on to the old while embracing the new. They try to serve Jesus, but yet they don't forsake the old. Now, having said that, let me say this. I do not believe that everything in every indigenous culture is evil. Every indigenous culture should not be called heathen. Amen. They are the people that Jesus died for. We should love them with his unconditional, everlasting love. I don't believe that everything that they use in their own ceremonies are evil. I believe that Jesus never came to destroy a culture. He came to redeem it. I believe that there's gifts, there's talents, there's graces, there's music, there's musical instruments. In all these cultures, out of every tribe, every tongue, even under the sun, that God wants to redeem, but that they are redeemed back to him. They're redeemed to bring honor to the Lord, to the one true yes. living God, to the Creator, to the one true great Spirit, who's the God of the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one true living God. So all these things are to be, amen, restored and redeemed and purified and purged back for righteous purpose. Amen. So um, I just had to throw that in there. This is some wisdom but I'm giving the worship warriors tonight. Now, let me give you some more wisdom here because you're going to need to hear these things in the days that we are in. Well, and, and let me just add this is because the adversary always wants us to fo focus on the false. 
And if there's a false, guess what there has to be? A genuine. Jesus never changed. When he was God's son, slain as the lamb before the foundation of the earth, when he came here in his human form and gave up, amen, his divinity for humanity so he could taste and experience the power of sin that he might take it to the cross and overcome it by his shed blood. And when he resurrected and ascended back to heaven and sat down on the right hand of the Father, his sonship was never diminished. It was never taken from him. The Bible says specifically Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, if Jesus did miracles and was supernatural in the birth of human flesh, and yet he did miracles, and, and the Bible is filled with miracles that he did, okay, we cannot discredit the fact that Jesus is still the same. He's ascended back to the Father's right hand, but he's still doing miracles. I, I, I've heard people that have been prayed for. I've seen people, and I've prayed for people that have you know, had incredible touches of God upon their life. Why? Because I prayed, no. I was just available. I just believed God and prayed the prayer of faith, but Jesus did the healing. When you see a person who has been condemned to death by medical society, who has stage 4 cancer, that has weeks to live, amen, and you pray the prayer of faith for them, are you telling me that the devil healed them? Are you telling me that the devil loves that person and that he healed them so that he could get the glory? Well, first of all, the devil does not have the power to perform a restorative miracle healing that is glorifying God. The, the, the last thing that the devil would do is to try to glorify, amen, the true and living God. He's jealous, amen. He, 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 he wants worship for himself. And so, therefore, he will raise up false people, false prophets, false teachers, false this, false that. But, you know, my thing is this, Brother Curtis. I always keep my eyes on Jesus because the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Now, certainly, like I said, you need to try the spirits, okay? You need to prove yes. all things. If something false, get away from it. But don't discredit and don't discourage people from believing the power of a supernatural God just because you had one bad experience or several bad experiences. Amen? Because that's exactly you falling into the snare of the devil. You falling into unbelief. You falling into the spirit of fear. God never meant to give you a spirit of fear. And if you're going to be an end-time worship warrior, you cannot have a spirit of fear because it will yep. make you weak. See, fear, and, and read Second Timothy 1.7, okay? So many people had the spirit of fear working on them today, and there's different reasons for that. Okay, and, and I'm, I'm going to give you some background here in just a moment. But fear, it can manifest in a lot of different ways and different types of phobias. You know, one person has this fear, another person has that fear. Some are, are afraid of being in tight places. Uh, some are being uh, fr afraid to fly. You know, some are afraid to be alone. Some are afraid to be, you know, uh, in, a, in a big big crowd. You know, there's all different kinds of phobias. But there's a solution and a cure for every fear. And that solution and that cure is found in the Word in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, where it tells us that, amen, the cure for fear is the godly fear of the Lord, which is perfect love. See, when you have the fear of the Lord, it is perfect love. You have perfect love towards Him because that perfect love is fear which hates sin but loves righteousness. When you have that perfect fear in your heart, God is love. When you have that perfect love in your heart, you don't want to sin. You don't look for an occasion to sin. 
You don't give your flesh a chance to sin, or you don't create an opportunity to sin. You hate sin. Just like Jesus, God's son, he hated sin, but he loved righteousness. And that's how I know that people are perfected in love, if they hate sin and love righteousness. And you're going to have to understand that this love that I'm talking about, this perfect love, it comes through intimacy. It comes through intimacy with Jesus. Because true love always bears fruit in the soul realm as well as the spirit realm. And, and, and that's why, you know, uh, amen, covenant relationship exemplifies that. Uh, you know, the expressions and the emotion of love that bonds two people together. Well, you know what that does? It releases certain chemicals in the body of the two that are in love. And these chemicals, well, actually they, they have a common name, and, and they're known as endorphins or serotonin and uh, dopamine. And so when two people who are in covenant love have that intimate relationship, there's a, a, a chemical exchange and a chemical flow you know, being released uh, as they hold hands, as they kiss, as they hug, as they have private intimacy. And what that does, it establishes in those uh, people who are in love with each other a sense of value, a sense of confidence, a, a bonding, a trust, and an acceptance. And so they establish a strong emotional belief uh, in the soul realm that you and your companion uh, can overcome anything together. That's what the principles of truth does. Now, however, now get this, because here's, here's the flip side of the coin. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, go with me to 1 Corinthians real quick, chapter 7. I, I showed you one side of the coin. Now let me show you the other side. Uh, the adversary hates covenant relationship. He hates union with the Father. He hates you being in an intimate relationship with the Lord. He hates you being in an intimate relationship with your covenant partner. Okay, When God created Adam and Eve, there was a covenant that was established as a pattern. Okay? Now, the adversary has a plan to try to do something about that, okay? And it, it's, it's, he, he, don't play, he don't play safe. He plays dirty. And he'll do anything he can to try to sever uh, that covenant, to try to destroy that covenant. And there's a lot of ways he does it, but one way, and, I, and here's another hard saying tonight, but here's some wisdom for your warriors out there. So just put your seatbelts on and put your trade table up because you're about to take a new flight here tonight with this one scripture right here. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. It says, Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may be giving yourselves to fasting and prayer, and then come together again, that Satan tempt you not with your incontinency. Incontinency, I'm sorry, incontinency. Now, so what is that scripture saying? Well, if you are seeking the Lord, you may set a time, a special uh, season of fasting and prayer. And during that season of fasting and prayer, you as a, a covenant partner pattern from Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis in the beginning, okay, you can engage in that season of prayer and fasting without having an obligation of sexual relationship. But the scripture says, and Paul says this by permission, okay, because he's not telling you or he's not commanding you, amen, to be incontinent on a, on a you know, regular basis. What he's telling you is you have my permission from the Lord to understand this revelation that once you have come back, amen, out of that season of fasting and prayer, come back together, amen, get back into an intimate relationship Amen. And don't defraud each other. Don't take advantage of each other. Don't don't rob each other of the purpose and power of pleasure 
in that God-given created intimacy, okay? Because uh, the devil, what he does, he wants to destroy, amen, a companion, a covenant partner, okay, by getting them to withdraw from you uh, in spirit, in soul, and in body. And what that does is that weakens that relationship. See, God ordained sexual union uh, by his pattern in Genesis. And what that does, it, it, it's not just for the purpose of procreation, but it actually brings the spirit and the soul and body into a harmony. And it releases that chemical reaction in the two covenant partners to establish you know, that sense, I'm loved, I'm valuable, I'm needed, I'm wanted, I'm accepted, I'm trusted. You know, and so it brings harmony to that relationship. But the devil hates harmony. He hates unity. He hates union with God from man, and he hates union with after God's covenant pattern. So believers who are in covenant relationship, you should not allow the devil to tempt you, okay, to be incontinent, okay? Now, and, and, and you know, a lot of times couples will get in, you know, disagreements, and one of them will, you know, pull a bedroom blackmail on each other. Well, you know, if you're not going to do this, and, and you know, pardon my realistic, you know, phrase here, but if, if you don't do this, you know, the husband talking to the wife, the wife talking to the husband, if you don't do this, then I'm not going to do this. In other words, they're going to deny you access in the bedroom. They're going to deny you your intimacy, amen, their, your, your value, your self-respect, your, your, your sense of being, you know, needed. They're going to rob you of your physical and spiritual harmony that that intimacy brings. And that's what the devil wants to do. So, you know, as a worship warrior, here's some wisdom. Uh, you that want to fast and pray, you fast and pray as long as you are directed by the Holy Spirit. Three days, five days, ten days, 21 days, 40 days. Amen. Do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. Do it as the Lord directs. But after you have fulfilled your uh, commission to fast and pray by Holy Spirit direction, come back together. And, and and I have to say this, and here's another, you know, kind of hard saying, but, you know, some of you think that you're too old. Well, I remember, amen, uh, Abraham and Sarah. They were in their years of being aged, and yet they were able to engage in a union for a purpose and plan, amen, in the economy of God. And I, I, I just believe that as long as a couple who are, you know, in covenant relationship of marriage, the marriage bed is undefiled. I believe that as long as God gives you the strength and the ability to come together and be intimate, that you need to do that. And because one of the things that Satan comes to you know, rob is, is that sexual union because if you want to get right down to it, that is an example of worship, amen, that's taking place, amen. It's not some fleshly desire. It's not some fleshly need per se, but it's truly an act of worship. Uh, God designed it to be such. He designed it to be, amen, pleasure. He designed it to be worship. He designed it to be, amen, something that was satisfying to the spirit, soul, and body. If you're having union and sexual intimacy, and the only thing that's being satisfied is your body and your soul, you miss the boat because there is so much more that God had planned for your fellowship and your union and covenant marriage, amen, than just a one-time, you know, uh, once a month, once a week, you know, sexual fling to gratify your flesh. No, God wants to fulfill you through that union, spirit, soul, and body. Amen. And if it's not reaching the spirit, if it's not being, amen, a, a, an example of worship and thanksgiving unto the Lord for the gift of your partner, for the gift of your companion, for the gift of that God-given covenant partner as exemplified in Genesis, amen, then, then you're missing 
something so uh, unique about that experience with God and from his perspective and from his, his, his course. And, and, and some of you, you've withdrawn yourself, you've pulled back, uh, you made excuses why you know you shouldn't be having uh, intimate union uh, between man and woman, as it says in verse four, the very next verse up above it, wife and husband. If you're making excuses, you're 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 giving the devil a, a place. And and if, if if some of you men out there, Amen. If if, if you're you know being coming distant uh, or becoming, Amen. Uh, uh, yeah, separated in a sense, Amen, from your spouse, from your wife. Because, amen, you're going through temptation, you're going through tests, you're going through something, amen, soulish or physical, amen, you, you, you need to get healed of that and, and, and go back and, and, and have a relationship of love with, with, your, with your wife. Because the, the way that you treat your wife is the way you're going to treat the church. Paul brought that analogy out, amen, in the book of Ephesians. You're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You can't tell me you love your wife and you deprive her. You... you, you, you uh, Manipulate her. You you browbeat her. You 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 show her dishonor in word and deed. You can't tell me that you love Jesus and you love your wife if you're doing that to your wife, because you're going to treat the church the the wife, amen. That Jesus has the the bride, the church, just like you're treating your natural wife. How you treat your natural wife is a sign of how you're going to treat the church, the body of Christ, a- amen. See law, and I think on that for a while, amen. But uh, that, that's some more wisdom, amen, that I, that I need to give you, okay? And, and here's, here's uh, I've got to try to pick it up here for just a moment because I, I will try to finish some more of this tomorrow night, but I want to get a couple points in here. Here's some more wisdom for you worship warriors. Uh, if you're a warrior, you need to be in the battle at your appointed time. Now, why is that? Because in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, amen, David was a king and he was a master warrior. He was a skillful warrior. He was a brave warrior. He was a valiant warrior. He outdid, amen, uh, the prior king, Saul. And, and that's why when the women saw him come back from the battle victory, they, they sang the song, uh, you know, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And that's what stirred up the spirit of jealousy from Saul against David because he saw the anointing. He saw the capability and the, 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 the ability of a warrior in, in David. Amen? And uh, so... Saul actually tried to sabotage uh, David's kingship and, and, and even his relationship by getting him to marry his own daughter. That's, that's another whole sermon and teaching there, though. But if you're a warrior, you need to be in the battle. David found himself, amen, sleeping in late, amen, getting his mind and heart fixed on other things. And when he should have been in the battle, he was in the palace. He was in that comfortable state. He sent his men out to battle. He sent his best warriors out to battle, but he, when it should have been the time for the kings to go to war, David was a king, he should have been gone to war. But no, David stayed in the palace. And because David was not in the place of warfare, when he was called to do warfare, what happened? Well, we know what happened is because the next thing he knew, he saw himself looking out a window, and during the times of purification, he saw Bathsheba purifying herself on the balcony, Amen. After uh, her um, time of going through her, her period, she, she was purifying herself according amen, to the word that was in the law there. And he looked out and he saw her, and he began to lust after her. Now, had David been where he was supposed to have been, he couldn't have seen Bathsheba. Had David been where he was supposed to have seen, he couldn't have gotten involved with Bathsheba. If David had been where he was supposed to have been in battle and warfare, he would not have had her husband killed. But because he was at the wrong place in the wrong time, 
Though he was called to be a warrior, he was called to be a king, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. When you're, in the, when you're a warrior and you're in the wrong place and the wrong time, when it's your season to fight, but you're, amen, feasting and not fighting, when you're sleeping and, and not, amen, battling, amen, you're opening up the door of the adversary, amen, to find something in you that he can pull you and allure you into some type of sin. It doesn't have to be a sexual sin. It can be any kind of sin. But the devil knows your weak point. He knows what, amen, you came out of, so he would like to try to pull you back into what you came out of to discredit God, to discredit his power of deliverance, to discredit your testimony, because he's a snake. But that's what the devil tries to do. So if you're going to be a warrior, hear this wisdom. Please be on your post and in the battle when the battle's called, okay? Especially if you've got a position and a calling and a grace to be a spiritual warrior, uh, to be a worship warrior. Now, uh, here's something else. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to give you a couple more points of wisdom here before we uh, do something else tonight. If you read Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, here's some wisdom for your warriors. And the, uh, I'm, I'm not even going to read the verse. I want you to look it up and want you to study it out. But what it talks about is guarding your heart from the abundance of idleness. Did you hear that? One of the sins that was the sin of Sodom and, and the sin of uh, uh, Gomorrah was not the blatant alternative sexual activity. But what it was, it was the abundance of idleness. They had no motivation. They had no love for productivity. They were given to lust and not the loftiness of their manhood to be providers. They gave themselves over to strange and unclean spirits. In fact, I, I even believe that they had given themselves over to fallen angels in that particular setting of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because that's why when the angels of God showed them, they wanted to have sex with the angels. Because they were already used to having sexual relationships with unclean spirits and fallen angels. Okay, But one of the greatest sins of that society was the abundance of idleness. There was no respect for work. There was no respect for productivity. There was no respect for skill. There's no respect for entrepreneurship. Some of us tonight, we've had too much time on our hands. And, and you know, my grandma used to tell me, you know, and you've heard it too, said so often, probably by your grandparents as well, that an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Well, there's some truth in that because when you have an abundance of idleness, you're more prone to be distracted, lured, snared, tempted into something that is contrary to God's will for your life and God's design for your life and God's purpose for your life. Okay, If you've got too much time and no time for talent, then you need to find something that is in, going to empower you and to cause you to break free from the curse of the abundance of idleness and make your time productive. Some of you need to redeem your time because you've lost so much time. you wasted so much time. This is not condemnation. This is reality. I'm trying to get you back into the flow of productivity that the Creator God uh, can give you. By, by breaking free from that abundance of idleness. Um, just a couple more, and, and we're going to uh, do something else here for just a moment. But uh, the last thing that I want to uh, share tonight, we'll finish this up tomorrow night, is watch out for the dangers of distraction from your assignment. Every one of you has a God-given assignment, but there are so many danger signs out there, amen, that you will be distracted by them. You'll turn to the left or to the right, and you'll not be able to fully obey the commission of God upon your life. I'm going to explain some more of that tomorrow night. 
Uh, I've got some more revelation uh, of wisdom that I want to share with the worship warriors and that I think that will bless you. I hope this has blessed you tonight. hope this has helped you. hope I've said something that has just you know, tilted your uh, desire for truth and uh, caused you to embrace this truth. And, and, and please, what you hear taught, put to practice, don't be here uh, only, but be a doer of the word. You can listen to this teaching again and download it to share with your friends by going to propheticmessage.org. Just click on Marcus in the links window to access all of the archived audio. And be sure to join us at Witness Project throughout the week for additional programming, great Christian music, praise and worship, and fellowship in the chat room. Just point your browser to mixlr.com slash witnessproject. Send us your prayer requests at prayer at witnessproj.org, that's W-I-T-N-E-S-S-P-R-O-J dot org, during the week, and we will be praying for you on Warcry each Sunday evening. See you next time.